want to invite you to open up your Bible to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth is found in the Old Testament right after Judges and just before 1 Samuel. Our sermon text today will be there in Ruth chapter 3. Just in terms of a brief review, we are learning that Naomi lived in the darkest of times. She lived when there was no earthly king there in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there was a famine in the land. They were hungry, so Elimelech and his wife Naomi, along with their son um, Kilion and Malon, went to Moab looking for food. But tragically, Elimelech, Kilion, and Moab and um, Malon died there in Moab. After 10 plus years, Naomi uh, returns to Bethlehem of Judah um, empty and bitter. But then we begin to see in this story the kindness of God, the kindness of God's providence in the, the meeting of Ruth and Boaz in a barley field. Uh, we see food provided. We see a kinsman, redeemer revealed. And hope is beginning to be rekindled. T- today in chapter 3, we're going to learn about this this plan for marriage that unfolds. The question is, is this really God's providence or is this Naomi's initiative? So follow along as we'll read this chapter as we work through this sermon together. But as we come to verse 1, we read this. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And the answer to her rhetorical question is, yes, Naomi wants rest for Ruth. And when she says rest, she means that she seeks a husband and a home for Ruth. Naomi wants Ruth to experience the provision and the protection found in a stable marriage and home. We certainly know the challenges that single women and widows experience today in our culture, and it would have been even more so in those days. And worse yet, for a widow who was living in a foreign land. And so it is Naomi who takes initiative for her daughter-in-law's sake, because there in the ancient Near East, it was common for parents to be heavily involved in arranging marriages. Now, marriages happen much differently then than they do today. Uh, Earlier in chapter 1, verse 9, Naomi had already expressed this same desire for both of her widows, um, daughters-in-law who were widows, to find rest in their own home with a husband. Verse 2 says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So it just happens, the text says, but we know it's not luckily, but in fact providentially, that Ruth was gleaming in Boaz's field 
because she had found favor in his eyes. And so Naomi had been thinking and coming up with a plan. Uh, We don't know how much time elapsed in the story between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, but obviously it was long enough for Naomi to come up with a plan of action. She recognized Boaz as a relative or a kinsman redeemer, and Boaz had already demonstrated kindness to Ruth and to Naomi. And so Naomi has this plan. But as we read about this plan, the question is, what in the world is she really asking Ruth to do? So look with me at the end of verse 2. Naomi says, see he, Boaz, is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, somehow... Naomi knew of the schedule of Boaz. We don't know how she was thinking. She was apparently doing some research. Her mind was spinning, maybe, maybe even praying, but we know that she was preparing. She was paying attention to what was going on. She was thinking, in fact, selflessly for Ruth. She wanted rest for Ruth. And Boaz had already shown kindness to Ruth, and Boaz was a relative. So things were lining up. And so Naomi asked Ruth to wash and anoint herself. Now, it's possible that she had been wearing the clothes of a woman in mourning, but it's more likely that Naomi simply wants Ruth to clean up and look her best for this event. So Naomi tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor that night. Boaz will be there. But don't let him see you until after he eats and drinks and is relaxed after a full day of work. So keep an eye on him. Watch him. Notice where he lies down. But don't let yourself be seen just yet. This is all part of the instruction that Naomi has given to Ruth. Then She says, after he is laying down and everyone else is also down for the night, go to him. Lie down at his feet and uncover his feet, and he will tell you what to do. Now, maybe you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? What what is Naomi really asking Ruth to do? And some turn this scene into a very suggestive sexual invitation and encounter encounter and it certainly could have been that because of the sinfulness of humanity the, the conditions in fact were ripe for that what what would what Ruth would do was in fact filled with lots of risk but how, how would Boaz respond would Others see her or accuse her of impropriety. But everything in the telling of this story suggests that it's absolutely pure and happened just as Naomi had envisioned it would, in fact, 
happened. Ruth was making a bold move to make herself available for marriage by a kinsman redeemer. Ruth did not seek to lure Boaz into a sexual encounter. Nothing in what Ruth said and nothing in Boaz's response suggests that. Instead, she's appealing to him to do the righteous thing, leverate marriage, a provision in the law of Moses instructing the brother or relative to marry his brother's widow who had no sons so that the name and the property of the deceased brother would carry on. So this was Naomi's plan. Naomi gave clear instructions. But how would Ruth respond? Well, verse 5 says, and she replied, Ruth replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Again, I I would imagine Ruth to be a bit anxious about this. Um, She didn't know how Boaz would respond. She didn't know how other people would respond. But from the very beginning, she wanted the God of Israel to be her God. Boaz had even heard her testimony of seeking shelter and refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. It seems that Ruth was living by faith in Yahweh, and it's likely that her willingness to do all that Naomi asked her to do was, in fact, a clear and beautiful expression of her faith in Yahweh. She obeyed all that Naomi had said, even though it was something that was filled with risk. Verse 7 says, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So Ruth was watching. She was observing this. She saw Boaz lay down for sleep at the end of this pile of grain. And we don't know necessarily why Boaz was there. It was his field, in fact, but he would have had servants to do the work. Some think maybe he was there to protect the grain, and that's possible, but most likely he would have had servants to do that as well. Naomi somehow knew that he would be there this night. So maybe it was customary for the owner of the field to be there to share the the joy of the harvest, especially since they were coming out of a period of time where there was severe drought. But but certainly, providentially, Boaz was present, and now he's asleep, and he is by himself. The, The plan of Naomi is unfolding just as she thought it would. The text says, Then she, Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, Coming softly meant that she came quietly without drawing attention to herself. In fact, without being noticed. She laid down at the feet of Boaz and uncovered his feet. And based upon the response that Ruth gave, which we will see in the next verse, it's clear that Ruth understood the purpose and the plan of being there. She, she was making herself available to Boaz for leveret marriage since he was a kinsman redeemer. But, 
But for now, she is laying at his feet, waiting. That, that, in fact, was the extent of Naomi's instructions, other than telling her that, telling Ruth that Boaz would tell her what to do. And we're, we're left to speculate why Naomi instructed her to come at night in this way. We don't know that this practice was common. Um, why did she come in the night at the threshing floor in this way? It's certainly bold. Um, it's a bit uncomfortable for us. It, it seems like this entire plan could have blown up and gone really bad. She could have been spotted or falsely accused, but Ruth, in fact, had reason to be there at the harvest. And it was maybe the easiest way to approach Boaz without lots of other people being around and awake. Um, she would not have had access to him in the same way at his home. Here, Boaz could, in fact, reject Ruth's interest in marriage without it becoming a public scene. Um, if Boaz, in fact, said no, Ruth could move on. Nobody hurt without lots of people talking about it either. But it was, it was certainly bold. Um, on, on one occasion some years ago, I had the privilege of being in the Republic of Moldova with Dave Dernlin and Rick Wilson, training a group of men for pastoral ministry, and we had the opportunity to eat a meal in the home of a family that had a number of girls. Um, this family, I remember, they were rose farmers. They had acres and acres and acres of roses, and they sold these roses wholesale to various uh, stores and what whatnot. Um, but they had three beautiful daughters who were in their late teens or early 20s. And we were together with the entire family for dinner, uh, having a great time of conversation and fellowship. Um, D Dave Dernlund, some of you have gotten to know him. He uh, maybe has even tried here, I'm not quite sure, but he has a long reputation of being trying to play a matchmaker. Uh, he, he loved getting people together and, and seeing couples come together. And so Dave asked these ladies, as we were sitting together after the meal, he asked these young ladies if they had their eye on any eligible men in the, in the church. And when Dave asked that, they all kind of giggled and they talked amongst themselves in Romania. They were Romanian-speaking people there in the Republic of Moldova. And, and after they talked amongst themselves, they responded to Dave, and they just simply said, well, in, in our country, uh, we wait for the men to show interest in us. And so I, I say that to illustrate that Naomi's plan to send Ruth to make herself available to Boaz was a bold plan. But Naomi trusted the character of Ruth, and from what she had heard and knew of Boaz, she also trusted him for a noble response as well. So at verse 8, we read this, at midnight, the man, Boaz, was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? 
And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, we aren't told what woke Boaz up. Maybe his feet got cold. Uh, maybe his feet bumped into to Ruth. Uh, sometimes you wake up at night. They were under the stars. Maybe he heard something. But it, it seemed that when he woke up, what startled him was, in fact, a woman laying at his feet. And the text says, Behold! <laughs> And if you went to sleep by yourself and woke up and there was a woman at your, your feet, I think you would be startled as well. And he asks, who, who are you? And she replies, I am Ruth, your servant. So notice her humility. Um, bold, but, but humble. Trusting Naomi and trusting Yahweh. Probably a few butterflies in her stomach as well. Um, I mean, how would you respond? I'm sure he was sleeping, but she probably didn't do a lot of sleeping that night. And Ruth just says, I am Ruth, your servant. Then, then notice her request. She quickly makes the reason for her presence known. She, she is not enticing him into a sexual encounter. She quickly says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Ruth is boldly, yet humbly, making her desire for Boaz to marry her known. She doesn't beat around the bush. She doesn't want her intentions to be misunderstood. She's making a request that it is in step with what God has taught in the law. This is a righteous request. Um, Na Naomi had told Ruth to go to Boaz as she did and to lay at his feet and she did, but Naomi hadn't told Ruth what to say. In fact, Naomi said, Boaz will tell you what to do. And I think that helps us to see what happens came from Ruth's heart when pressed by the circumstances, what was in her heart came out. And what came out was a, a request that honored Yahweh. But she had no idea how Boaz would in fact respond. She did the right thing, trusting God for the outcome. She was bold and courageous. And verse 10 says, And he said, Maybe, or may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. So Boaz immediately recognized what this was, a righteous request, not a temptation to sin. And so because of his heart for God, his response was to ask the Lord to bless Ruth. That, that was his immediate response just after he was startled out of his sleep. He, he would not uh, ask that if what she was asking was, in fact, unrighteous. But notice what Boaz says next. The reason he asked the Lord to bless Ruth is because he recognizes that what she is requesting is an expression of kindness or love to the family of her deceased husband. So Boaz was, was older. Ruth could have pursued a young man with lots of money. Boaz seems to suggest that there 
could have been other options for Ruth. Maybe some seemed to be even better, but instead her faith in the Lord drove her to show kindness and love to her mother-in-law and her dead husband. Uh, Ruth was willing to marry an older man so that the name and property of her husband would carry on, and it certainly would do that. All the way to King David and all the way to the Messiah as well. And in this sense, she was thinking more of others than she was herself. Verse 11 says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, these are indeed very comforting words. Maybe Ruth was shaking when she made her request. I can imagine she would be. Certainly Boaz recognized the need to quickly um, lay aside her fears of how he might respond. It's also probable that Boaz knew that people in the town might want to gossip and misrepresent Ruth's intentions. However, Boaz said, everyone in the town knows you are a worthy woman. That, that is exactly what was said of Boaz too. Boaz said, I, I will do for you all that you ask. And at this point, there must have been, um, if she was able to think straight, there, she, there must have been some relief on Ruth's part. This plan is working out just as she had hoped it would. But But then Boaz says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. What what is this? This can't be. Could this derail Naomi's plan? Boaz goes on, verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it, but If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Again, you see Boaz doing the righteous thing. He must honestly and genuinely give this nearer redeemer the opportunity first. It's clear that he wanted to marry Ruth, but he had to take this important step. Boaz was doing what was right and trusting God for the results, but also Notice that Boaz was acting in love towards Ruth by requesting her to stay put for the night. It would be dangerous for her to leave alone in the night. So verse 14 says, So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now we aren't told to whom Boaz made this comment, maybe, maybe he was thinking out, li- out loud, maybe to his servants, but no mention of servants being present is made. But Boaz wanted to protect Ruth from the town potentially gossiping. People often misunderstand. People often think the worst rather than giving the benefit of the doubt, rather than responding in love. And so Boaz was thinking for Ruth. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? 
Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So six measures of barley was probably about all that Ruth could carry. It would have been a very noticeable quantity. Um, Boaz, we're told there, actually had to lift it up and put it on Ruth, uh, probably put it on her head uh, for her to carry, and then she returned to Naomi. Now, you'll remember at one time, Naomi was empty. She was bitter. She was without hope. At one time, she was hungry, and she was in search of food. Now, here is Ruth with all the barley that she could carry, and Naomi doesn't even notice that. Instead, she wanted to know how it went with Boaz. Um, that is what she was dying to hear. She, she probably didn't sleep a lot either. Probably Ruth didn't as well. And Ruth goes on to tell her all that Boaz had said and had done for her. And then Naomi replied, wait, my daughter, verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Ruth and Naomi would have to wait, but not for long. Uh, Boaz would act quickly, just as he said. In fact, he would take action that very morning. Um, you, you, however, will have to wait till next week to hear how the story ends. Um, but you get the sense that Naomi's emptiness and bitterness is being driven away by the hope of the Lord. Now, the question that I want to close with this morning is this. How, how do you explain all of what has happened so far in this fascinating story. Um, one explanation is the, the providence of God, and I've talked about the providence of God a number of times. But honestly, doesn't it sound like what we heard today was a plan that was hatched by Naomi and executed by Ruth? Boaz is on his way to the city gate. It is that because of God's providence or because of Naomi and Ruth's initiative or, or both? Well, I want to suggest that the best, the best explanation is really two truths that are in fact related. Um, truth number one is this, God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. That's a quote from Jerry Bridges. Uh, we, we see that, in fact, in several ways in, in Scripture. We're taught in Scripture that God created the universe and is still actively ruling over it today. Hebrews 1 says of Jesus, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We also know that God rules over the wind and the rains. He feeds and cares for all of the animals. Go home and read Job chapter 38 through 41 and 
be blown away by the providence of God in nature and the animal world. I, I, I say blown away because our puny minds can't fully wrap around or understand the power and the wisdom of God's providence. But, but in reality, as Job was, you can be comforted by God's providence in the midst of suffering. Um, we also learn in Matthew 8 in the Gospels how Jesus commanded the raging wind and the raging sea to be calm. And it humbled and terrified the disciples when they saw that took place. Jesus also taught us that one worthless sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from the will of his Father in heaven. We know that Jesus was, in fact, crucified by evil men who would give an account to God for their actions. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, we learn that Jesus was, in fact, delivered up to die according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, tells us that God works for our good in all circumstances to conform us to Christ. Not, not everything you experience in life is good. You may be mistreated by others. You may experience trials of many kinds. But even in that, God in His power and wisdom and love is able to use it to bring about good in your life, molding your character to reflect more and more the likeness of Jesus. All, all of these things happen because of the wise and powerful providence of God. Incidentally, providence is related to sovereignty, but a bit different. Sovereignty really speaks of God's absolute right to rule over all things, and providence speaks of his invisible hand at work to rule and care over all creation. The, the story of Ruth happened because God was at work for their good and for his glory. A, again, God's providence is his constant care and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. We, we can be comforted by the providence of God. We can rest in God's good and faithful care. But that doesn't mean that we are passive in life either. There, there is a second truth that's related to the first truth. In fact, this second truth is built upon and really possible because of the first truth. So here is the second truth. God's providence leads or enables God's children to take actions that conform to righteous ways of living. So Naomi put together a plan for Ruth to meet Boaz on the threshing floor late at night. Naomi took this initiative. Ruth was a willing participant. Boaz, too, became a willing participant. But ultimately, it was... God's invisible hand of providence at work that made the whole thing happen. 
Uh, Proverbs 16, 18 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Um, now, let's try to think about there are this, these truths, both the providence of God and the responsibility of man, uh, impact a lot of life. But let's think about one example um, as we close. And it's this. Scripture is crystal clear that salvation is a work of God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. By, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. John, or Jesus says in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So salvation is a work of God, but that doesn't mean that we are passive and inactive. Scripture is also equally clear that to be saved, we must repent and believe. So why, why are we saved? Well, we must repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we know and believe that our repenting and believing happen because of the work of God in our lives. Acts 13.48 says it like this, and as many as were appointed, appointed by God, as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Um, Jesus said it like this in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13, 11 through 14 say this, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So our salvation is the work of God. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might, do the, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So your responsibility is to believe on Jesus. You then were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. One final passage, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that's our responsibility, to believe and obey. And, and here is why we can do that. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his Good pleasure. So why, why is it important to see God's invisible hand of providence at work in the world 
and in our lives. It certainly provides comfort in life, especially in the darkest of times. It also gives courage to continue living by faith in Jesus, to continue obeying and following Jesus with the very strength that he promises to provide. But most importantly, seeing the providence of God in our lives leads us to give him all the glory. Give him all of the glory, the praise and honor for his good and faithful work in our lives. That is why we exist. That's why you are here. That's why you were created. That's why you were saved. If God has saved you, that's why we live our lives to be for the praise of his glory. It's his work that enables us to repent and believe so that every ounce of our being will be lived in such a way to draw attention to his greatness, his work, his faithfulness, his goodness. That's his providence at work in you. Let's pray together.